0: How do we grow? What takes us from simply reading and listening to moving and doing? Into a roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty kind of walk, driven by a desire to grow in grace and humility, digging in faith and on good soil, implanting His Word in our hearts, waking up to life on the other side, where peace-loving wisdom resides persevering through trials and temptation, through death and destruction, giving life breathing water through action and deed, letting it soak in and take deep root in every aspect. That kind of doing changes us. It leads us into true faith, true faith that produces good fruit and changes who we are in Christ, driving us to sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness, to lead with love and give to others generously with mercy, causing us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers.
1: You know, you really could have done better. What are you wearing today? Have you ever thought about eating healthier? What were you thinking? Were you even thinking? Have you ever been the recipient of one of these barbs? It may be followed up quickly with, can't you take a joke? Said in an attempt to defuse the comment. I've come to learn that's actually a thing, the just kidding defense. When someone intentionally or unintentionally makes a negative, hurtful comment and attempts to repair the remark by indicating they were just joking, putting the onus on the recipient to either take it as a joke or risk seeming to be too sensitive. Deliberately or not, careful or careless, our words get us in trouble. At work, at school, in the neighborhood, at the grocery store, at the bank, at family gatherings, around the dinner table, but not at church, yes, at church too. Several years ago, James Dent wrote in Reader's Digest saying, as you go through life, you're going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Take advantage of them. The truth is, as long as humans can speak, this will be an issue. And perhaps that's why James devoted so much intentionality on taming the tongue. And it's where we find ourselves in this fifth week of our series called Doers. If we haven't met yet, I'm Brian Mengel. I'm the pastor at our Skagit campus in Mount Vernon. And it's great to welcome you here to Cornwall here in Bellingham, to those watching on the live stream, to those in Boca, and to those at our Skagit campus. I trust this series has been refreshing and revitalizing and reminding for you. An attender in Skagit told me on week one she was nervous about the series. She flipped through James and said, Pastor Brian, it looks like a lot of tasks, command after command. If you're a true follower of Jesus, you will and you must. I checked in with her just this week. She wrote back and said, I now see James' heart, not for us to be rule followers, but for us to keep on keeping on as we work out our faith with endurance toward the finish line, true maturity. You see, James' encouragement in his book is for us to grow in maturity with Jesus. To grow in maturity. And notice, it's grow, not earn your way with or earn your way in. It's to grow in maturity with Jesus. It's the crux of his message. It's James saying, if you want to be like Jesus, here's how you'll act. Here's how you'll sound. Here's what you'll do. Hypothetically speaking, if Pastor Bob were to say to me, Brian, if you want to run a marathon with me, here's what you'll need to do. Less about the rules and more about, if I really want to run, I'll have to do these things. And do these things enough and you'll become a runner. And same with James. Do these things enough as a follower of Christ and you'll grow in maturity. So it's in that spirit that we find James tackling one of the greatest challenges for us as Christ followers, our words. In fact, many scholars agree that James contains the clearest, most comprehensive teaching in the New Testament about our tongue, our speech, the words we say. I did some Google searching on our tongue to understand it better. I learned that it helps us do a lot of things taste and eat and digest your tongue has between 2 and 10000 taste buds it's comprised of eight muscles and no bones and helps us produce about four words a second enough to fill a 60 page book on any given day pastor bob utilizes about 10000 words on a weekend sermon or more <laughs> and yet unlike other muscles the tongue doesn't fatigue The tongue does so much good, and yet the truth is our tongue can be an incredible ally or a formidable adversary. An incredible ally or a formidable adversary. An ally when our words are uplifting and encouraging and helpful and edifying. I think of Dr. Martin Luther King or Fred Rogers or a man who stood on this stage Friday night at Collide, Bob Goff. People that utilize words as their ally for a purpose bigger than them. But then our words can be an adversary when they're insulting or rude or offensive or condemning or offensive or sarcastic. The negative Nellie, the Debbie Downer, the rude Ruth in your life. People that utilize words to break others down. And since our words are one of our greatest outward expressions, James makes it clear we've got to watch our tongue. And it's not like he hasn't already addressed the issue. In chapter 1, in chapter 2, again, he'll do it in chapter 4. Verse 19, he says to us, make sure and be quick to listen, slow to speak. One commentator made the suggestion, slow to speak actually suggests be reluctant to speak, suggesting that we have to seriously consider what it is we say before we say it. James is so emphatic about us holding our tongue, he'll double down in chapter 3. He begins with church leadership. He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. A couple of important notes here. Number one, he's not talking about just Pastor Bob. (laughs) Or Pastor Bob and our nine-member pastoral leadership team or just our elders, he's talking about anyone that takes on a mantle of teaching responsibility. Our small group leaders, our quad leaders, our student ministry leaders, the all-important Explorers League team members. Number two, it may seem upon reading this verse he is discouraging people from becoming teachers in the church, and that's not the case. But what he is doing is making it clear up front to those who have interest in teaching the word in and out of the church, take heed, take note. There is great responsibility. For teachers, it's don't just tell me, show me. Don't just tell me the information, show me you're living it too. In other words, to, teach, to serve as a teacher in God's church is more than just having the ability to speak or to tell a story or to capture attention. Teachers will be measured by a higher bar because they've got to be accountable for the words they use because they have influence. And Jesus himself warned about this very fact when he said, Jesus says, for whom much is given, much is required. So to teach is to ask yourself, one, am I doing it for the right reason? Check your motive. Two, can I live a life in line with Jesus? It's an important question. Because your words and your actions will drive someone closer or further away from Christ. And even when we do our human best to get that right, there is a reality. James says this, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James now talking to all of us again and he says a key word we all stumble notice james includes himself in the stumbling the greek word here for stumble does not imply a fatal fall but instead something that trips us up that hinders our spiritual progress we're supposed to learn from the past and make improvements for the future i wish this were true of me in video games I rarely get asked to play Xbox with my son, Dylan, mainly because regardless of the game, I can't help but get tripped up by the obstacles, the same obstacles. My wife can attest that most often it manifests itself when we play Super Mario Brothers. Now, if you have eyes or know this is like vintage, this is like level one Super Mario Brothers, and level one is always where I get tripped up. The moving mushrooms and the speeding turtles and the Mario eating Venus flytraps that come out of the sewers. And every time my stumbling gets the better of me. And I either want to quit or my son will gently take the controller from me. The good news is my walk with Christ is nothing like Super Mario Brothers. And my spiritual stumbling is another opportunity to stand up, dust off, and continue pursuing a Christ like maturity but not perfection because that's not possible for you and I and James he's a realist he recognizes our tongue can cause us to stumble in word with our boasting our exaggeration criticism gossip slander two-facedness our anger but we must agree that cannot be the defeated end game we can't toss the controller and quit We've got to press on, or the word James will use is endure. We've got to endure in our walk with the Lord, which becomes a journey marked with less stumbling. We all stumble, but when we keep on, when we endure, we will be marked by less stumbling. And how do we do that? We keep our tongue in check. James will continue, and he'll use a very strategic word, the word tame. Months ago, Pastor Bob mentioned Gunther Gable Williams, who was a world-renowned animal trainer with the Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus. He gained worldwide attention for his ability to take wild animals and tame them. In an interview, he said, to tame an animal is to understand it, recognize its abilities, and ultimately to have control over it. To understand it, recognize its abilities, and ultimately have control over it. Now, keep that definition in mind as we continue to read James. He says this, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. My late father-in-law, Steve, was a horseman. He was a cowboy at heart and loved to ride horses and loved to pass on that passion to his grandkids. I remember one time, Alyssa was of age and thought it was time for her to ride the horse alone. Steve, being wise, would walk alongside the horse, Uno, and they're walking and down the trail, Shauna's taking pictures, Alyssa is giggling, all is going well, until the horse gets spooked. And that horse took off flying. Shauna drops the phone. Shauna's screaming. Alyssa's still giggling. <laughs> Steve then takes off running down the trail after Uno the horse. And like a good Western, he takes off, goes for the rein, grabs the rein, falls down, pulls the bit just slightly left, and Uno stops on a dime as if nothing had happened. Something so small as a bit commanding something so small. Big And James talking here from a biblical knowledge and a personal experience, understanding the audience of his thousands of years later, would understand the illustration of a bit and a rudder. How small they are and how big they can command. In other words, the wildest of animals, lions and tigers and bears. Just wanted to make sure you are awake, that's all. Killer whales and dolphins and cobras and the largest crews and cargo ships, they can and have been tamed. But as for the tongue, there is no match. So let us not deceive ourselves in underestimating the power of the tongue. In fact, James puts into perspective how powerful the tongue is. He says this No human being can tame the tongue. Our tongue is just that unruly. But notice he says, he doesn't say that the tongue is untamable. He says no human being can tame the tongue. That leaves God alone, mightier than the tongue he created. His spirit then left in control our only hope of taking our words captive. No rudder, no bit can compare to the power of God. And left without control, James outlines that path of destruction too. He says this, It, our tongue, is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He goes on, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider when a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Woe, James. Some strong words. James is passionate. He is passionately reminding us of how disproportionate the tongue is in comparison to the rest of the body, and how an untamed tongue is unfathomably dangerous. Not an overstatement when you consider the deadly poison it can deliver or the fire it can set ablaze. In your childhood, you recited, Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never. And as an adult, you realize that's a lie. The bitter pain of a word spoken against us can hurt for a lifetime long after a bone has healed. Our words carry weight. A huge forest can be destroyed by something so small. We've got to remind ourselves, a fire is always started the same way, with a spark. Josh Giorgio, who attends in Skagit and is a fire dispatcher for the U.S. Forest Service, I asked him, I said, tell me how forest fires start. Silly question, I know, go with it. He said, all forest fires start the same. They all start with a spark. Whether it's an abandoned campfire, fireworks, exploding targets, lightning, down power line, human error, every fire starts the same way, with a small spark. He told me about one of the biggest forest fires our state saw this summer, just east of Ellensburg, shut down I-90 for 24 hours. 80,000 acres burned. They determined it began with the smallest spark. Just a drop of snake's venom or the smallest spark have the potential to cause widespread devastation, similar to an off-handed remark or careless control of the tongue. And this is not new. This is not new to us. This has been an issue since the beginning. Proverbs is very clear about the person who does not consider the destructive power of words. This is what we see in Proverbs. Just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was just joking. One Bible commentator put it this way, the poison of the tongue murders reputations by the slander it utters. Their souls and many times their bodies too by the contentious and quarrels it raises. The message will say this for Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Are your words killing others? Are they giving life? Are they poisonous? Are they fruitful? And, and let me tell you this, Satan is keenly aware of this. And he thrives when we let our guard down and allow our tongue and our words to run wild. That casual, sarcastic, or critical remark lasting an injury on someone for a long period of time. Some people have no hand on the reins or the rudder. And therefore, they say whatever comes to mind. I think Charlie Brown probably knows this best. Charlie says, I have a great fear of being boring. I also have a great fear of being bored. What's the most bored you've ever been? Lucy says, besides right now? (laughs) I did a search of Charlie Brown Lucy cartoons, and every time, Lucy is the same, degrading and rude and hurtful. Our friend Lucy here has no filter, no control, no hands on the rudder. In fact, there's one comic strip where Charlie Brown is left saying, well, that's just who Lucy is. For others, there's this false belief that the words that come out of our mouth, well, they just disappear over time. There's an app, if you've got a teenager, you know this, called Snapchat. Snapchat was recently named the most relevant social network among teenagers. And if you don't know Snapchat, here's the brief version. It's an app that allows You don't send videos back and forth with the belief that at the end they'll disappear. And while sometimes the messages are lighthearted or funny or inside jokes, according to a study done just this past year, 70% of the video messages sent via the app were deemed rude or hurtful. And the app thrives on the illusion that these words, these messages, poof, disappear. For Christ followers, the Lucy M.O. and the Snapchat model don't work. They can't work. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Proverbs 17, 27 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. So, church, we're left with two options the tongue can be used for the highest calling or the lowest evil. The highest calling to honor God, to encourage and bless others. Or the lowest evil, to curse and tear down men and women. So what do we do? Do we commit to a vow of silence? Because in many ways that would be easier than working at controlling our tongue. But as we strive toward maturity in Christ, James points us towards inviting and engaging the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to take over and to guide our words, to hold the bridle and steer the ship. David realized this. He wrote in Psalm 141, 3, Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. To choose our words whether written or spoken, to positively influence others, to point people towards Christ, it is a constant, conscious choice. And make no mistake, it is a choice. James will address this as he concludes. He says this, "'With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings.'" who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is James' gut punch in love. How do I know it's in love? He says, brothers and sisters. He calls us that twice. He's not scolding us as strangers. He's encouraging us as Christ followers, as the church, to step up and to recognize the trap that we so easily can fall into. The late Eugene Peterson would interpret this same verse this way. He says this, With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. Far from judgment, I hope that's sobering. It certainly is for me. James is describing someone that sings out worship inside the auditorium and an hour later curses at the slow driver ahead of them. James is describing the person that leads a Bible study in the morning and screams at the referee at the soccer game that afternoon. James is describing the person that prays for someone one minute and shares that prayer request as gossip the next. James is direct, guys. He says, my brothers and sisters, this cannot be. Should not be. In our effort to strive towards maturity and likeness in Christ, this can't be us. And yet the challenge plagues us every single day, but that can't be an excuse. We can't rationalize it away because it's been said from this very platform that the world is watching us. People are watching what we do and how we act. And I would offer you, people are listening too. People are listening to you as well. Our words give us away. Our words tell a story, whether we want them to or not. And most often, you don't get a second chance to explain or undo what it is you said. The truth is, you can eloquently rattle off Bible verses or present the gospel in an elevator speech and encourage and build up someone, but what James is talking about, what James is concerned about, are the words that follow. I know this truth all too well. And I share a personal story asking for your grace. It was my senior year in high school. And like you, I had a core group of friends. One of them was Tammy. Tammy and I grew up together, elementary, middle school, had several classes in high school. Tammy and I went to the same church and same youth group. I remember one afternoon she asked me to come by her house. I sat in her living room and I could tell her demeanor was different. As she began to share, everything went foggy. The bottom line, she and her boyfriend at the time, also going to our church, had had premarital sex, and she was pregnant. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I can tell you it was a mix of legalism, condemnation, and a whole lot of judgment. I remember telling her and asking her, do you remember what we learned at youth group? Do you remember what we heard in church? I probably tossed in, what were you thinking? were you even thinking? And not surprisingly, Tammy asked me to leave. In a letter she would write to me a couple days later, she expressed that my commentary hurt her to the core. She was so confused how a guy who could rattle off Bible verses, had a gospel presentation in an elevator speech, could encourage so many others, could use words so harshly and hurt so deeply. And while she didn't remind me of James 3, I certainly will. With our tongues we bless God our Father, with the same tongues we curse the very men and women made in His image Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. As I thought about this encounter this week and asked her permission to share, it made me sick to my stomach. And maybe not to that degree, maybe not that situation, but you've been in some situation similar that's happened to you where you proclaim your faith in God's love and the characteristics of Christ in one breath and you obliterate it in your next I've since reconciled with Tammy. I've thanked her a million times for her forgiveness and her grace and for God using her to teach and grow me in major ways. I am not condemned by that moment, but it lives with me in the forefront of my mind as to the power of our words, especially for those who follow Christ, especially for those who chase after Christ. Our words get us in trouble. And it's why what you say matters. What you say when you're at a backyard barbecue or at a sporting event or what you like or comment on on social media or what you laugh at in the office break room, it all matters. It all matters. Because once you say what you say, it's out there. In 2016, a mom, Amy Beth Gardner, Put a post on Facebook. It was shared 1.8 million times. She shares about this moment, her daughter about to begin middle school. On the first day, she calls her daughter downstairs to the dining room table and she says, Bring your toothpaste with you. So her daughter comes down at the dining room table, she pulls out the toothpaste and she says, I want you to remove the lid. And so she does. And she's like, I want you to squeeze the toothpaste out, every bit of toothpaste. Get it out of the tube. Just keep squeezing, keep squeezing. So her daughter did, kind of confused as to what she was doing. So she squeezes all the toothpaste out. With an empty tube, the mom says, okay, now put it back in. She says, put the toothpaste back in the tube. Her daughter protests, I can't do that. She said, put the toothpaste back in the tube. She said, mom, I can't do it. She said, let this moment be burned in your mind. Because as you start middle school and high school and real life, let this image be the image that reminds you of your words, the power of your words. Because like toothpaste leaving the tube, you can never put it back. Once the words are out there, that's it. They exist forever. There's no putting them back. The daughter sobered said, I get it, Mom, I get it. It's important, it's vital we remember that just like a squeezed tube of toothpaste, our words, once they leave, are beyond our control. Advice columnist Ann Landers said this Your words are a mirror of your heart. They're connected. They're one in the same. It's why James references the impossibility that you won't find salt water in a pool of fresh. You won't find grapes on a fig tree. Therefore, what's active in your heart will be evidenced in your words. If your heart is hard, if it's filled with bitterness, your words will be the same. If your heart is filled with grace and love and wisdom, that too will be evident. We can't let our lips and our lives preach two different messages. And James is clear. He understands this side of heaven, you're not perfect. But his encouragement is that as we continue to strive, endure, keep on working out our faith to be more like Christ and less like the world, after we chase after spiritual maturity, he says, Get ready, because it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight against our sinful nature. It's a fight against our culture. It's a fight against popularity and being in. Galatians 5.17, Paul says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in constant conflict with each other. So yes, our words, our speech, it's a fight, and it's a fight worth fighting. So where do we start? This week, I think it's time to have a check in with our godly cardiologist. Our challenge is to have a heart checkup. Is your tongue in check, or is it a restless evil you cannot control? I read about a challenge from a professor to his students. He said, for the class to monitor their conversations for two days, 48 hours. He said, Note every time you say something negative or unkind. And he said, don't alter your speech. Don't try and be overly kind for the next two days. Just mark when you say something unkind or negative. The results two days later shocked the students. Every student came back with a notebook full of check marks, each mark representing an unkind comment, a mean-spirited comment, a joke at the expense of someone else, a passive-aggressive remark. One student commented this way, I was shocked and unpleasantly surprised with how flippantly I use words and not take into account their weight. So perhaps a heart checkup is something we need more often than not. Because without, I fear, we can become dangerously desensitized to what we say and what we post. It all begins with the heart. Jesus said this. He said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Luke will record the same thing a different way. He'll say, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Jesus is clear here. He says, our thoughts and our words might pass through the tongue, but they are a product of your heart. So why speech is not of you. It can only come through Jesus through you. So ask yourself this week, what flows from my heart? What flies out of my mouth? What flies onto my social media? If you need an honest assessment, ask your coworkers. Ask your friends. Ask your small group. Ask your neighbors. Ask your spouse. If you really want an answer, ask your kids. I'll tell you, on the way home last night, my wife Shauna asked our daughter Alyssa, Tell me what you hear dad and I say. She's still thinking. (laughs) I'll tell you as a dad, I'm terrified of the answer. I want my words to be at home what they are from this stage. Will those that you ask say your words are helpful or hurtful? Will they say your speech is encouraging or demeaning? Will they say you say one thing in small group and another with your friends? Perhaps your heart checkup begins with just you and God, asking him to assess the condition of your heart and what fuels your words, and be ready for the answer, because as James has already written about, he says, God's happy to take your questions, but be ready for the answer, and when he gives the answer, got to take it. Make no mistake, our words are a matter of the heart, perhaps we need to take to heart what David wrote in Psalm 51. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God. Create a steadfast spirit within me. May my tongue sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. A matter of the heart begins in the heart. And Cornwall, let me just say this. We must Work hard at this. We must work hard on this. That's not a fill in. That's not a soundbite. That's not legalism. That's just the plain and simple truth. How we speak and the words we choose have eternal benefit or consequence. What you say when you leave this auditorium, when you're in the commons or the parking lot or at the restaurant at lunch or at the grocery store, at the gas station, in your living room, be assured this message, this challenge, will be tested today. Remember, your tongue doesn't fatigue. It is ready for whatever words you want to spit out. The challenge, what will those words be? Paul wrote it best. He said in Ephesians 4.29, He said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That could have been enough. But he goes on and he says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs and what is beneficial for those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but just what is beneficial for those who listen. This week, as we journey on in our maturity May Jesus capture your heart. May he engulf your heart. And then may your words overflow in mass abundance.